What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMoreReason.com here with another episode of our Mar podcast today, joined by special guest Jacob Carlson of Easy Higher Cannabis. How are we doing today, Jake? Doing pretty good, man. How are you? Man, I am living. I'm living. I know you told me you just got off the plane down there in in Florida a little bit ago, man. So I know you're I know you're uh, enjoying yourself out there. I got shorts on for sure. We're like literally like across the country. I don't know if you could get any further away. Got to get right. even further from, but I'm down there. <laughs> right, right, absolutely, man. And and you know you're located out in, in Mass, correct? Full time or back and forth between Florida and Mass, or? Yeah, born and raised in the Boston area. Uh, grew up where the Boston Marathon starts. To give you some context, uh, just north of the city now, uh, but back and forth between you know here in Tampa um a lot of mso's down here we're trying to chase so um but a uh, very different market back in boston as well so yeah you're getting two two uh i guess two views of like some most exciting i guess markets in in the country right now with florida i mean obviously it's a limited license market so i think it gets a lot of attention in certain regards and certain not because it's not it's not one of those states where anyone could go just open up a business significant uh, investment uh size to just enter the market out there right now um, and then Boston's obviously that that most mature market, you know, adult use market up there in the Northeast. Yeah, I, I ran away a little bit from the hometown. You know what I mean? I kind of wanted to get into different markets. I thought there was more opportunity. It took a while for Boston and, and Massachusetts in general. Right. I think there was a three year period where cannabis was legal, but you couldn't buy it from anywhere. Right. It was just stuck in legislation. So everyone's like, well, where are you getting it? Right. Like all these like funky rules about possession, but like you couldn't actually legally buy it, which didn't make a lot of sense. Um, but now looking back, you can say, hey, this like, you know, the hoops that people, you know, that went through from the CCC. Now mm -hmm. it's one of the most mature and successful markets. I mean, I hear it in the top three to five, I think, with everybody that I talk, you know, around the country, which is really exciting. And it's easier for me, obviously, having some massachusetts roots myself growing up in the area it's much easier for me to make connections with people in massachusetts than it is i'm literally going into mso's myself introducing myself talking about hiring talking about our platform um and have a couple other people helping us out to do it but like we are literally knocking on doors down here which is a little bit different than massachusetts for sure absolutely yeah yeah a little, little bit away from home so what's what's your you know i kick off all these episodes with with our guest origin story around cannabis so i'm kind of curious your your start with cannabis both you know personally if you care to share that side and then professionally as well yeah sure man i think like for me i was a uh, you know an early early user probably around 13 14 started smoking cannabis and i think for me i'll never forget that first time i like got super high and i like slept right i'd always had like insomnia right so i was like i woke up and was like i literally was like in love right mm -hmm. <laughs> with like the feeling of being able to almost and i don't want to say it in like the wrong way but like where i was guided right to mm -hmm. sleep right um meanwhile my mother was chopping up benadryls when i was a kid and putting them in jelly to like go get me to go to sleep and like that probably had something to do with me kind of <laughs> leaning towards it but you know most through life i was a you know cannabis user um, all through high school, um, college as well. Um, I actually had dreadlocks through most of my twenties, followed the band fish around the country, the disco biscuits around the country. Uh, so pretty much had cannabis in my life, um, for my, most of my life since I've been about, you know, 13, 14, um, and gone through like different origins and kind of relationships of having, you know, with being bigger and smaller parts of my life. Um, 
but I've always kind of had this idea of it like medicine, right? Like I've mm. kind of always had this idea of like when I've really had to test myself and stop smoking or something like that, I'm like, it's really medicine for me. So I think that that's kind of the way that I've tried to continue to look at it. But yeah, I'm still, um, that's kind of my story behind cannabis, if that helps. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank, sorry, thank mom. you. Sure. Sorry, mom. First of all, you know, I'm sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing. What, what about professionally? When did, when did you start Easy Higher Cannabis, and when, and was that kind of your first entrance into the cannabis industry from, from the, you know, legal side? Yeah, great question. So I had start, I had been working uh, with two brothers from Portland, Maine, one of the most, you know, legacy markets on the East Coast, the legacy market on the East Coast, and we were doing cannabis staffing. Uh, so we were helping with uh, trim crews and harvest turns. And then we started doing some direct placement. Um, you know, there was just so much opportunity for, for, for hiring background and people to be placed um, that we, we couldn't like, it was like whack-a-mole almost like we couldn't almost like miss because there was just so much need for some support and around auxiliary business that was like traditional with every other business. And I had come from the event space. So like, temp staffing and event space it's like that's a huge industry right like right and i couldn't have run my events without being able to hire these people i was like this is just kind of how it operates so um i had done that for about four and a half five years and you know i worked at the company hubspot which is you know crm company and you know they were always kind of cool with me having you know some other project or something else that i was working on so i was able to kind of like work on that but i knew like there needed to be something solved um, with software, right? That was the only way that we were going to be able to see the business. And I think my business partner would always say to me, like, you know, there's no way about scaling the services business, right? Like you can only place so many people, right? Like it's almost like selling real estate, right? Like mm -hmm. if you don't sell the house, you don't get paid, right? And like we couldn't replicate myself or other people on our team. And that's that's kind of why we ended up with this kind of like, the you know, hiring platform where we, you know, we really want to go for this idea of being, you know, the indeed for weed, where it's an opportunity for hiring managers to post jobs and an opportunity for applicants to find jobs and really just like be a double sided marketplace. We don't want to be a job board. We want to be more selective around that. But that's kind of like what we're going for as far as the platform goes. And then in doing that, are you guys using some algorithms and stuff to help match match things and, and, and filters like that? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously my my business partner, John Sarantino, is from HubSpot as well. Our other partner, Frank, is, uh, you know, another, worked at another CRM company actually with John called Pipeline Deals, actually up in, up in your neck of the woods, up in Seattle. Um, and we have really taken the mindset of looking at this like a lead score, right? A candidate score is very similar to how a, a you know, a sales VP or a marketing VP is looking at how do we rate a certain lead in mql and sql right what's a marketing qualified lead which is sales qualified lead and then being able to take that methodology really to candidates right where other industries are looking at this very similar as like an applicant tracking system in mm -hmm. ats um and there are you know a bunch of them out there but there aren't as many industry specific so that's kind of like what our kind of model is around but yes very much like Hey, we want somebody that's, you know, within 25 miles of our location, they've used Dutchie before they've, you know, done packaging mm. before, and they've also, you know, worked at a cannabis dispensary for over two years, right? Be able to get that algorithm as a hiring manager, you got to go through the hundreds of resumes. You're like taking a spreadsheet, right. you're taking notes somewhere like that. That's kind of what our 
platform is trying to do. Um, and we're not trying to place the people, right? We're really giving them an opportunity to say, here's the best that have applied. You run with this, right? Mm -hmm. You take this, you hire them and you go with it from there. Yeah. And so, like I said, you, you know, some people have referred you guys to Indeed for Weed. So it's very much similar in that regard that it's a platform that I can go in there, do a posting, look at candidates and qualify them specifically again for can't, like you said, you mentioned like experience with Dutchie. That's not a qualifier that you can really put in as someone that's used indeed before you know that's not in, in indeed right like you could maybe put it in a description but you can't really necessarily use it as a qualifier yeah and you know that's spot on i mean i think like things like linkedin are trending towards that right where you can search off of specific skill sets right like one of the really cool things that we've seen within our platform um is that we've gotten people to post their badges and like upload their badges, not just mm -hmm. like their resumes, right? So the idea of like, okay, somebody in Colorado, hey, you gotta be badged to be even be interviewed, right? To go through the process, right? So to get, you know, our, our candidates and our applicants to be able to post that um, has been a surprise, right? We thought we would have to nudge them or email them or say, hey, like you're not gonna get interviewed unless you upload your badge. Um, so we're seeing more people kind of trying to self-identify because they understand if they wanna get selected and they wanna be in the top you know, five or 10 for the hiring manager that they're going to have to identify, have to identify different skills than the other people that are applying. Absolutely. And then what, what, what are some of the things that you took from like being at HubSpot? Cause obviously you spent some years there, big tech startup, but and HubSpot is universal where it's not pertaining. While it is a tech company in itself, it works within every, and you know, all, all sorts of industries, but what did you learn being at that company that have kind of prepared you for having your own startup and and just looking to drive value and work with with you know having a product that provides solutions for uh, customers? Yeah, I I mean I think um, you know working at HubSpot changed my life. Like I wouldn't take back um, you know just absolute. I think the things that I learned as far as ways of of creating processes that are repeatable. Um, and the other part is probably being able to, when things are working well, right. Just keep, right. Like keep following that process, keep following that process. I think as a startup person and even having a startup before I worked at HubSpot, right. Like there's a lot of shiny objects as a founder, as a, you know, be, be, you know, being in a small team that can, you can pull you away from kind of the focus around you know, what the goals are, right. And what you're trying to accomplish. I think that that's the thing that HubSpot has kind of instilled with myself that like, I create a process, I create goal, goals around that process. We assess that process. Um, and we don't really like challenge it in those periods, right. You kind of like have to trust the process at that point, because that's the only way that you can go super, super hyper, hyper, hyper fast. Mm. If you're trying to customize everything for everybody, right like it's going to take a your bandwidth and your energy and and c a b and c i guess the c the c part is like you're not going to be able to deliver either right so like if you're telling you hey i'm going to create this custom process for every single person i'll like having that bring that to your operations team and bring that to somebody as an account manager say oh well these people they need seven candidates not five yeah every two everyone gets five right like that's it's just like we can't we can't stick without our process so i think that's like the probably the, the couple of big things i learned from hubspot the most but um 
I knew that I would leave. Here's the thing. Like I never thought I would work at HubSpot for seven years. Right. That's a, that's actually how dope of a place HubSpot is to work mm. that like, I was like, this is so, such an awesome place to work that like, I knew I would leave and do my own thing eventually, but like, it was just that great place to work. So, yeah. They, did they make you cut the dreadlocks off or was that before you joined? Uh, well, I cut them off before that. Okay. Um, but, uh, they would not have cared. I mean, I think like in my department, I was in sales at HubSpot, right? Like they wrote a book about HubSpot, how like tenacious, like the just crazy that the startup environment was. If anyone is looking for a funny book to read, it's a really good one by Dan Lyons. Uh, I'm probably getting trouble for plugging that one, but uh, <laughs> it's super, super funny to give you an idea of like what that kind of world is like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that they wouldn't have cared if, as long as you hit your numbers. When I started at HubSpot, you were, you were was, yeah, hit the numbers. You were good. Hit the numbers, and, and what's that sales like? Obviously, you know, being in the cannabis space and or any any sort of aspect of this, like whether it's your role or someone on the ground floor as a sales representative for a cannabis company, like sales is very much part of business. Any business sales is what drives it, whether it's the sale to the end consumer or the B2B sale or the ancillary support sale to help people do the transactions. What's kind of the, do you feel like there's some unique aspects of, of the sales process as far as can like pertaining to this industry specifically, or you feel like it really kind of mirrors other industries as well? Yo, you gotta have vibes, Mitch. You gotta be like, you kind of like, if you come in, with like, and again, I've made tens of thousands of cold calls in my life. I told you I'm walking into the dispensaries down yeah. in Florida. Like I'm a sales guy, right? Like I, I remember at HubSpot, they were like, oh, you ran these events. Like were the event, did you plan them really well? And I was like, yeah, like pretty good. And they're like, that's not like that hard. The hard part is like selling them, right? Like selling the IBM deal, selling the HubSpot deal, right? The hard part is actually selling it, right? I think what I've learned is and i tell every i've been telling everybody this and i think even since i met you right it's like i'm like it's night it's the 1980s in cannabis right now like if you think you're gonna like cold call somebody and like or you're gonna do even inbound marketing i tell everybody i'm an inbound marketing expert right like we've been doing it for years i would love to create blogs and get all these inbound leads and like not have to get up and go to all these parties and all this stuff it's 1987 right you gotta get to the parties you gotta shake people's hands you gotta like chill with people in the cannabis industry and once you've gained more trust with people with that that's the part i feel like that like people are more open to do business with you right sort of thing where like there's so many people and the other the person who is like in the cannabis business that does the buying that makes the decisions right this person's getting sold to all day every every packager every extract guy the insurance guy, everyone's calling this person every friggin' day, right? So like all the, the closest thing to try to do is to learn about their problems, build some trust with them. But if you come in with this kind of like sales, traditional sales, like, again, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars wasted calling the dispensaries and they're like, are you hiring? Nope, click over. Like that's not the whole end of the game, end game. So I think you gotta build trust with people um, and you gotta find out what their actual problems are um, before you start trying to sell them. That was a that was a, a gangster answer right there, man. I think there's there's a lot of value in that, um, and I, I think it's important, right? Because that's that's what you said, like the vibes, like being unique to this space. That it is not not only in any business, people are getting solicited for sales, and this business especially, people are getting solicited a lot, and there's not like a uniform to it. Cannabis is very much a, a startup, a DIY, a hustler by any means necessary. So sales reps are anywhere from the mass email to like 
I'm following up with you every day until you tell me to fuck off or you sign the check. <laughs> yeah, I think like, you know, I, I again, having and maybe even again, more sales experience, sales management experience than some of the, you know, and I'm not again, what I feel like is like, a lot of the playbooks that I would have run at a software company, if I go to a software company and get hired as a you know, manager, director of sales, a lot of the playbooks that I've run with inside of cannabis, I would bring back in that industry, but I would never bring back back into cannabis right now. It just, it hasn't worked, right? It hasn't worked like the ways that we've done it with those sorts of cold outreaches. People just don't care. And it does a lot better to like send me out to Detroit at the, at the conference with a couple people on our team go hang out, post up, see what's up. Like we've done way better with that than we have. Right. And, and, and again, it's exhausting for me at points, but like, I also have to look at what, what's working, what isn't working, you know? So yeah, and, it's just, it is what it is without right now. And I think on that, like what you said with the vibes and even to, to your, to your last point, like of just connecting with people in person, I, I think there's an element of this industry whether, you know, there's a lot of arguments on LinkedIn or other places where it's like, we need to hold the culture and not go business, or this needs to be more straight up business and not as much stoner culture, whatever way it is, like anyone that's around this and knows it's somewhere right in the middle. You need, you truly need both those aspects. But for you, in terms of like building these relationships, how important is it to like, you know, understand the culture, be from the culture and still like partake as a part of that. Is that a big part of catching that vibe check and really connecting with, with, you know, potential leads? Yeah. And I think one of the things that it's like, when you start to come up with your ideal prospect candidate, like somebody who's your IPC, which is like a sales term, right? Like who's your, who's your actual good fit? Like, who am I really going to be a good fit with? Right. And I think, again, what we've learned with our business, right, is that we're a better fit for people that we culturally fit better with, if that makes sense. And that's not like a race thing necessarily. It's more of like how you operate and how you kind of got into this industry and are part of this industry, right? So like if you can figure out the companies that you have those sorts of cultural connections with, business becomes a lot easier to be done because you're kind of used to doing business a certain way. You, the, you know, when things don't go right, because that's like when the real test happens mm -hmm. with a B2B business relationship. It's not when you're all crushing it, right? Like I used to make a joke, like, I don't care if your daughter scored a goal in your soccer game this weekend, unless like we're doing tons of, you know, if, if we're doing a tons of business, I'll be at the game cheerleading you with, with it, right? So you have to find that balance with like where you can spend your time and your energy with that. But I think for me, like, our, for us, we've gone to like, this is who we are. This is like what differentiates us from other businesses that like are comparable to us or what people would consider us as a competitor with. We're like, yo, Jacob will like, go smoke, go roll blunt with you, right? Like that's the differences within sort of our culture, not to say like anything about any of our competitors or anybody else like that. But like we are more understanding with inside of that, like, that back, you know, that market of that's been in doing this for a while. Um, and I think it's important for any business, especially our size to like know who you're a good fit for. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're weirded out by that, you're creeped out by that, you don't have a drink with John or you don't want me to roll a blunt, like, you know, not to say you have to do either one of those, right. Or hang out with us. Right. Like it, it just, it makes it harder for us when things aren't going right. If that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, connections, everything, the relationship you have with, with, with someone, whether it's just a, you know, customer support representative or, or a client, client relationship, you know, that, that relationship is honestly everything, um, you know, being down in Florida, obviously you're, you're, you're going after the, you know, right now you said you're knocking on doors. You're looking at really big vertically integrated MSO companies. You have experience in Maine, which you like says legacy. It's about as legacy as it gets, not just for the East coast anywhere, you know, they're still fighting for medical and, and craft at a, you know, they're fighting to hold on to that more so than a lot of different markets. And actually it's seemingly from the outside looking in winning in certain regards. Um, I, I don't have too much insight on that, but what, what's kind of your, your experience working within this space with the large scale companies, the MSOs that really have that business acumen and then down to kind of your smaller, more craft or mom and pop spots. Like what's, what's kind of your, your understanding from your perspective of doing business with kind of these, these, varying demographics of, of operators. Yeah. I love that question. So I think like you nailed it just by like breaking out the differences that exist, right? The first thing you got to do is like admit they're different. Just like admit that like, you can't be going into, like I was Pete, when I would go up into Maine, Mitch, I was like their worst nightmare dude. Like I'm a, you know, Brown kid with an old BMW fast talking, like talking about taking the money and getting money. Like I was their worst nightmare. Like it took me years to kill, even still that, like to build trust with people up there, right up in Maine. And it's just part of the culture. Right. So like, I always look at like those legacy kind of market people. And I think of like, I think of something like a restaurant owner, right. Where restaurant owners, like I'm going down with a ship, right. Like they'll literally, they'll be the ones that are opening the door. Like there's, that's the kind of, there's that mentality. Right. I think. And, and if you, understand how like the Michigans, the Massachusetts, the Maines of the world operate, you can grow your business like a more traditional business can grow. When I look at the MSOs, it's such a challenge. Many of them are a challenge because it's kind of like a fire drill at some points where there's just a lot of moving pieces of hiring and hiring at that senior level, right? So like you might have a point of contact that you work with for nine months 18 months, whatever, they're gone. The whole relationship is basically gone, completely wiped out, right? Sort of thing where staying consistent with the larger MSOs is just difficult, right? And I think when you have resources, which like this economy is all challenging us with, you know, now because we won't have as many, right? But when you have a ton of resources, it's easy to make up plans, to make mistakes, to run different processes, to do certain things, different ways to do testing, to try things. Um, and intend to do that internally. Um, that's typically the difference is selling in MSOs is like selling into like the worst, like, I don't want to say the worst, yeah, like the most challenging enterprise level sales that I did at HubSpot with inside of CRM, right? There's a lot of moving pieces. There's the marketing team, there's the business development team. There's just a lot of pieces that need to kind of like check the box in order to move forward. Or again, that's why we've spent more of our time kind of focusing on the, you know, three to five person locations is, is much more of a sweet spot. And like focusing on those states, we're focusing on those states a lot more because it just seems like it makes a lot more sense and we're moving the ball forward a lot more with them. Um, so that's like our big, I think, thing where we're focusing on, you know, like I said, Massachusetts, Michigan, Arizona, uh, New Mexico. Um, those are some of the ones that we're kind of going after right now. And out of those markets, are you seeing kind of similar trends pop up within within hiring or is it kind of depending on how long that market's been live and, and rec? Yeah, I mean, I think, too, like we accept that, like for a lot of the people that work with us, they're looking for entry level roles. 
right? They need help with their retail. They need help with cultivation. Hourly positions are, the, are traditionally what the ones we help with the most. And I think when you think about, you know, the scope of hiring, right? Like that's usually in sourcing and candidates and, and recruiting. That's not where anybody's focused on is the bud tender that's got to be there at Sunday at 10 o'clock, right? But if you talk to the, the company and you talk to the business, the attrition, the, you know, the onboarding process that goes along, that's a lot of where they feel like that their retail businesses are struggling the most. Um, so I think all of, even the MSOs, now the MSOs, I feel like can't get out of their own way with some of that stuff. And I feel like some of the other markets that we're working with are understanding like, okay, we have three, just, you know, we have three dispensary locations, right? We have 35, 40 retail employees. Like we are going to need to consistently hire people mm -hmm. as it's going. And I think that those are the ones that are starting to understand the importance of it. Um, but then you'll see places like post jobs for 14 bucks an hour at a dispensary job somewhere. And you're like, is that even like legal? It's like crazy that you can even charge somebody that low. So um, yeah, that's the biggest pain point. I think that we're seeing it or the, you know, the trend that we're seeing is there's really struggling at that entry hourly level role. Which, yeah. And like you said, is con something you're constantly hiring for, you know, I've worked in the mall. I've worked as, as a younger kid, I've worked in food. Those are just, I've worked at a bar. Those are just like constantly rotating of employees, you know, and even, even if you get good ones, people move, you know, at a, whether it's lower skilled, low wage, or just one of those high turnover, it just, it, it's got turn and burn and it, people leave for all sorts of different reasons. And it's kind of a consistent need to hire and onboard the right people. Yeah, it's kind of like our wheelhouse is why we're what we're going for, I think, the most. So, um, you know, you look at the Leafly job numbers, stuff like that, like those aren't going to be a lot of like extract all extraction managers and like, you know, VPs of sales and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of delivery drivers. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're focusing on that part of the market, because, you know, those are and, and we were losing those jobs when we were doing when I was doing recruiting, I was just losing those jobs. They're like, we need 25 bud tenders. I'd be like, sweet. I'd be like, oh, great. We'll do them like a thousand five hundred bucks a piece. They're like, we don't want to do that. Like that costs too much money. Yeah. They're like. Right. And we're like, I'm like, you're right. I'm like, chart hiring 15 bud tenders for $15,000. Like, when we did that, we people paid us to do that. I just think it's a lot of money to do that because you're going to have to hire 15 more in three months. Right. right. Sort of thing. And coming back through us isn't always going to be the most, you know, cash efficient way. So, yeah. And, and that's, yeah, recruiting for those types of positions. That's, that's great that you've identified like this is a, a segment of the market that needs a lot of help and the traditional model that's helping it just doesn't really fit the mold. So that's it. you're like speaking exactly what I was going for. No, it's like, again, like we worked around like that to get to that point, to, to get to that point. And like, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a, you know, like since I was a 13, 14 year old, right? Like I've turned money down. We turned hundreds of thousands of dollars down over the last like 18 months with recruiting jobs that we were just like, we can't do them. We're not good at doing them. We're going to probably, we're going to spend a lot of time and then someone else is going to sell the house. <laughs> what? Sounds stupid. Yeah. And banks is going to sell house to them. What the hell? Like, you know, so. No, but that's that's like you said, taking that experience from the from the other gig is like understanding what's the bread and butter, what's the chain. Like you said, not wanting to chase the, the, the shiny. Going after the bud tenders like we are. Yeah, they ain't going after the bud tenders like we are. So, and like you said, not chasing the shiny shiny object. Someone's offering a big bag to go do something, but it's not <laughs> it's not guaranteed. And you're like, nah. If I just stick to my model, this this is what I'm trying to work and make this work for me. 
So very, very legacy. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm the dimes guy. You know, I just know I got the small, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the low guy, but I, I get rid of a lot of them sort of thing. You know, hey, man, hey, you know, people have made careers out of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I mean, like I said, if I could, if you give me 0.05 of, of what indeed is, we're chilling, dude. We're chilling. Yeah. <laughs> What uh? What do you what do you think? Like other than the industry just being so fragmented, and like you said, some of these situations don't match up from the traditional mature. You know, it's difficult to say the non cannabis realm to this exploding new business. Um, what are some other things around hiring that you feel like are just kind of issues that are that are like unique to this space? Yeah. Um. I think that there's there's some disconnect i did a i did a podcast we have our uh, a show too called the easy hour hangout i did um a show with a girl with a woman named uh, o'neill rudolph and she talked about diversity um canna changes her business's name they do like a recyclable like super cool like um recyclable like those jars that you get bring them back to the dispensary super cool and she was like she actually like it gave me goosebumps talking about it like the idea of like how much diversity is talked about in this cannabis industry and how much there actually is, I think to some degree, right? Like I'm, I get blue in the face to it sort of thing. And like, again, I'm, I'm Ethiopian person of color, all those sorts of things, but can be very, can be white passing. And the way that it's talked about and the way that it's actually executed, um, it just feels it's dis, disingenuine. Isn't even like the right word. It's like, it's like drawing up a play that like, you know, isn't going to work, but being like, we had to draw a play mm. and you're like, yo, but like human can't shoot a three dog. Like, or like, you can't, you know what I mean? They're like something like you get in a position where it's like, this, this isn't just possible or some of the people are put in situations of positions of power and, and the expectations are right. Or, or I think are, are trying to be in the right direction. Um, but we'll go straight up to a company to some of the biggest companies in the world. And they'll be like, well, what do you guys do for diversity? And we're like, well, like our whole team is diverse, right? Like my whole team is like basically like black women. Right. And like our whole team is diverse. So like, I don't know how any other way that we can help you recruit diverse people than being diverse people. Mm. Right. Sort of thing. And I think a lot of times what happens is, is that somebody gets put into a, a place of a, a a person of color gets put into a position of power at one of these larger organizations and they want to come in and make all these sorts of changes. And then you talk to them six months into the job and they're like, shit, I'm thinking about getting out of cannabis. This is like too much to kind of go to, to, to try to compete with and to try to keep up with. Right. I think state legislation has some things to do with it. I also think like the fact of the matter of people wanting to, wave a flag or try to use it as some sort of marketing plea mm. is also like another kind of thing that kind of gets to that degree. But what's interesting is in Boston and in Chelsea, the town that I live in, there's like three dispensaries and there's like very core understanding of like who's going for what, right? Like, you know, the one that I go to has like the hip hop vibe, right? Yeah. And there's like, you know, it is what it is. And like, I feel more comfortable there, right? Sort of thing. So I think not to go into a, like a, a racial tangent at some point about it, but I, I think that in the hiring space, a lot of people talk about diversity. They want to see our database numbers. They want to know this. They How many people are, can you get that are people of color, right, sort of thing. And we're like, 
I can't really tell you that. I can't really give you an answer of that because it's like coming from a place that's like not even like genuinely wanting to solve what the actual mm. problem is, which kind of drives me crazy. Again, to that play, you're like, get me these types of people. I'm like, okay, like sending them into this place. It's like, send me these types of people. Like, so um, there's just a lot to be done with some of that stuff. I'm proud of my team and proud of like the stuff that we do and the work that we do with, with that stuff. So, um, but I think that's something that, there's a lot of talk about it, but there's not necessarily a lot of action. Just look at the numbers. Yeah. I mean, just look at the numbers. They're, they're scary. People diverse and that work inside of cannabis businesses. It's not what you want to look at. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I giggled as soon as you started talking about that. Cause I, I, I understand that sentiment that it's talked about so much, but it's, there's not a lot of action. And even like living in the Washington market, I tell people all the time, like, we didn't have the so they didn't have the social equity talk. I won't say we because I don't want to include myself in the in the decision making conversation. But they didn't have that conversation until Black Lives Matter movement made social equity a mainstream pop culture topic. Like that's when they chose to be like, hey, we're gonna enter in this in in true fashion, like you said, like paraded around, like, hey, we're gonna explore social equity. Here we are, you know, two three years later after that. They still haven't even rolled out any sort of regulations. They're probably going to botch whatever they do. But it was just like it was talked about because it was a hype thing. And I, we live, you know, Seattle is what, you know, is a very progressive that loves to parade around how progressive and diverse it is. But even to that point, like you're saying, it's just kind of further. You further see proof of the concept of like how important of an issue is just in how it's talked about in a way without action. You know, it's like, it's cool. It's getting talked about more, but there's still like such a lack of action. It's like, wow, you guys just further prove how important this topic is, man. And you know what it does to me? Cause like, I don't give a shit that like, I, I honestly don't like, not that I don't give a shit, but I'm saying like, I actually hate the fact that there have to be these sorts of like rules and legislations around this because the game is so hardly rigged mm. right like i like even i want it even like i'll be good like i'm fine with that i'm not worried about that for myself right i understand that like there's other people that need that that you know these legislations need to be kind of put in place but the expectation of like that those are going to be executed i would just like again like you got to go get it like it's not even there, right? Sort of thing. Like that's like a lot of the social equity stuff. Like we haven't even, we don't even like, I I put my head so far in the sand with that because it actually like makes me angry because I see so many people that I'm like, if you just started just doing this, forget that like you're in, forget this, just do it, baby. Like, let's go. Like, right. Like cannabis, there's a lot of, there's some, there's some opportunities to be able to go and get it. So I think like, I have no, I don't have a ton of faith in like trusting any so, social equity helping grants, any of that stuff helping our business, my business, and a lot of other businesses, right? If you're putting your trust into that as the only way to grow your business, um, it's scary. I, you know, I think it's it's a scary, it's a slippery slope to be able to trust some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen uh, many models, you know, we've seen certain people, but even still to your point that they have that hustle type mentality that have gotten in these programs and taken advantage of it. But even those people will be the first people to go around the country and talk about how they're still just a wouldn't, wouldn't they be successful probably anyways? Like it's great. They got the head start and some of that other stuff, which is great. I appreciate that. But I also think it's some degree, like they also like, it's almost, it's sad that they have to, ex that those sorts of programs have to exist. And like people can't just find, like, 
people from different backgrounds can't just find other ways of being able to get financing and different things that exist. That's the real problem. It's not like, oh, that the social equity programs are broken. It's like, why don't these other, why don't we, why don't people from those places know more about some of this stuff? And earlier in the process, like if I had known about some of this stuff and anybody, you know, I think that there's, there are other opportunities to be able to go out and, you know, find things outside of the social equity realm. And that's not to dis credit any of the work that people do in that. I just think it's like such a small pool and, um, and you, you know, you could probably do it without it, honestly. So and what, what do you think for those companies that are looking for diversity? Obviously it's, it's, it's one thing to, like you were saying, like the vibe of certain places kind of is welcoming to different demographics of people and, and making people feel welcome or even bringing different community, like communities aware of who someone is and the opportunities that are out there. But what are some of those ways? Because obviously you put up a job description. It doesn't matter what platform you use. You know, obviously it's you, you can't say only this race apply. You know what I mean? That violates a lot of a lot of rules. Sure. Um, so what are, what are some of those things that you think they can do to be like a welcoming to inclusive inclusivity? Because you see so many disclaimers, you know, now at the end, like we are a diverse work thing that doesn't discriminate against anyone. But like it's usually even to the point earlier, it's just a statement. It's not really a statement of action. You know, it's just kind of a statement on there. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways. I think like. I think having it be in kind of part of your brand, right, having. Um, I think that understanding that first of all, there's like usually a lot of states like in Massachusetts, like you have to have, you know, understanding like the numbers, right. Of where you need to kind of like be at, to be compliant with, um, you know, with state regulations. Some of the other ways too, I think when I'm kind of just thinking off of the cuff a little bit, but you know, we do a lot of job fairs, um, at, in different, I don't want to say like di diverse communities. Um, I like partnering with schools that have diverse students. Mm. Um, I always think that when you are like, we just did a job fair in Holyoke, um, which is like crazy hotbed of cannabis in Massachusetts. They have their own power grid. So like all the cannabis brands are moving there. I was like driving through there. I'm like, why are all this? And somebody told me they're like, they have their own power grid. I'm like, oh my God, that's brilliant for you know a cannabis business but um you know if you are trying to move yourself forward with inside of your life and you're doing positive things you're going to community college you're going to a state college those would be the places that i would look at partnering with a state college um or a community college to do some sort of job for to be able to do some outreach there um I'm trying to think other ways i think sponsoring different community events, right? Concerts, like there's a couple of um, couple of dispensaries up in Boston that partner with a entertainment group that I work with. Um, Happy Valley, they partner with Dope Entertainment. Dope Entertainment runs these like, you know, college party sort of nights, shows, guy I used to work with. Um, but they're getting more diverse, you know, they're getting more mm -hmm. diverse candidates. We're working with them. They're getting more diverse candidates that are coming in. Um, so that's part of kind of building a brand piece. Um, yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I don't think it's easy um, to do it. Those are a couple of the ones that I would throw at, like partnering with a couple of colleges um, for job fairs and then kind of like making, you know, sponsoring different events that are in align with, I don't want to say like more urban friendly sort of thing, but like would maybe highlight 
Because the thing is, is like once like once you can kind of make that connection for, with a cannabis brand, you're like, oh, that's cool. You're like, oh shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We've seen it in Massachusetts where like the rules have started to loosen up a little bit, where now cannabis brands are being able to market and, and market in different places where you're like, oh, that's um it's not that hard of a sell once you uh get in the door a little bit for them. Yeah. And I think I think basically, you know, from what I'm taking from what you're saying, it's like basically the community you want to reach, meet meet them where they're at, you know, one way or the other. It doesn't matter you know, what community you're at or what demographic that you want to go after. Right. But wherever that is at or whatever you're seeking, those there's that demographic congregates places. It seeks information places. It seeks entertainment places. You can find it at wherever it's at. Maybe it is, you know, trying to increase on diversity for diversity hires. Or maybe it's you just want to, you know, if you're more of a retail business and you want to meet country music, you know, <laughs> people in that vibe. Right. Like They all congregate. It doesn't matter. Like subsets on of interest groups right and and different demographics that overlay with those are, are in different areas you know i think it's to me to me to me a lot of it too much and there's a ton of dispensaries in, in boston and i know boston pretty well i've lived there since i was 18 years old to me it's like it's more of like being able to be in dudley station on in blue hills ave and going to a dispensary that's owned by by a person from my community that looks like me that has a shop in our neighborhood. That's like what, to me, that's like some of the bigger parts that like are the most important to me with it, that it's not the Walmart of cannabis from like, from the fancy parts of Boston. It's like, it's these same sorts of people, right? That And I think that that's like what we're seeing inside of Boston. And like, yo, Wellesley's gonna be real different, right? It looks like the Apple store, right? But you can get some really good, you know what I mean? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a different sorts of vibe. And I think that like, those are the brands, that's what like you're gonna coach or I not to coach, but why I think of like the brands that are going to survive are the ones that can different differentiate themselves and say, Hey, we play hip hop music here. We got, you know, we have a poetry night. Like we do this, you know, we do different things that kind of like create the vibe of what people want to kind of go to. Um, I want to be able to shop there. And then other people I think will be able to work there too. Uh, Yeah. And that's it. I mean, people want to work places. That's what people also need to, you know, business owners should realize you want a place that people want to work at. That's the easiest, (laughs) easiest way to get attract talent is someplace that people want to work at. Um, You got what what, what else you got planned for for the rest of 2022, man? Oh, man. So let's see. Uh, We have a bunch of events on the calendar. September is going to be a crazy month. We're going to the Nikian conference in uh, New Jersey. Uh, we're going to Benzinga in Chicago. We're going to Vegas for MJ Unpacked. Um, Boston Cannabis Week smashed in there. I think you're coming out mm-hmm. to the East Coast, coming to my hometown for that week too. Um, and then we're doing, which is super exciting, we, we're talking with them. Um, we're doing a college fair actually down here in Florida to like four or five different colleges down here in Florida, probably in September. Um, kind of ironing them out right now, some big ones, some smaller ones, but we'll be kind of like a seven to probably like a seven to 10 hmm. college tour, kind of trying to get people to uh, create profiles on the platform. So uh, events, it's funny, I joke with like, my business partner sometimes i told you i ran an event company it's like we're just like running an event company again i guess like sort of thing like we're just going to event to event to event to event but um yeah that's some of the stuff we have going on the end of the year i think we're we're trying to do uh, a cannabis uh holiday party in new york city actually too with a couple other big brands uh, which is going to be pretty exciting we're going to do like a we're going to try to do a fashion show 
uh, which would be pretty cool too. So I think I think that's going to be in January, but uh, that's what we got going up in the next. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll probably see you at a couple of these events, man. Run, running the circuit that that we run in, definitely out there in the hometown. Um, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take you out at least one night in Boston if you're in town for sure. Get you some some good some good Boston seafood, you know. Yeah, I'm 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 with it, man. I'm with it. I'll t- I'll take you up on that for sure. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. Beyond with it. Uh, all right, man. For pe- people out there looking for more information, EZHireCannabis.com. That is just the letter E, letter Z, HireCannabis.com. Um, H-I-R-E, Hire. Not getting higher. But we are getting higher. And here is the RMR Podcast, episode 41. Jacob Carlson at Easy Hire Cannabis. Man, appreciate you hopping on here, man. Thank you, bro. Always a pleasure, Mitch. We'll see you around. 100.